Come on, well, good morning, morning. mi familia, my family, I'm excited to be here this morning, Uh, bring your greetings from Omaha, from the church in Omaha, Nebraska, I've heard a lot about your faith, your perseverance from Tim, who shares very fondly of you, and, and loves you very much, and Omaha, the Omaha church, is really thankful for you this morning, they really wanted a break from me, and so today, you get to share in their suffering, because I'm going to be speaking to you this morning. And so, you know, I heard the message last week. I listened, you know, I figured I'd be good for me to do kind of what you have been, been talking about. And I heard uh, Tony, oh, yeah, Tony yeah. Do, do a, talk about faithfulness, yeah. right? And Tony, that message was great. <laughs> First, first time it's ever happened, right? I'm the first person that's ever made that connection. You guys are, are welcome for that. You know, he uh, asked us to consider not just the faithfulness that God has, as we looked at the exodus and the people that he rescued, but our faithfulness, right? And, and where we're at with that. Uh, where do we need to commit or recommit or our passion for God? Where... Do we have that in our lives? And I think about this group as a group that is extremely faithful, staying faithful, and I I think you've been through some stuff from what I've heard. Uh, And if you're visiting this morning, I want you to know that you're around people that are trying their best to love God, their very best to love God. And I want you to come back next week because you'll have not just a regular speaker but a normal speaker. (laughs) So come on back for that. Now, it's hard to stay faithful, especially during hard times, right? To commit and recommit and have our passion for God be, be at full, you know, kind of full send when we're at that, that low place in our lives. And we need some sort of fuel, some fuel for that fire, for it to burn as bright as we, we want it to. I don't have the best experience with fire. As, um, as a middle schooler, we, we had a test one day. And I wanted to get out of that test real badly. So I got together with my friends, and we came up with a scheme. And we said, you know what we need to do? Man, we need to we need a, cause a fire drill. <laughs> but we don't want to get in trouble and pull a fire alarm. So what we're going to do, we're going to come to school, and we're going to create a fire. <laughs> So we all, so we all separated, went home, right? Today was gonna be the big test, and so one of my friends, he was in charge of the matches. The other friend, he's like, I got some, I got some lighters. So he went, he got his lighters. I went home and I said, okay, I'm gonna grab some fuel for this fire that we're gonna create. But as a, as a, you know, 10, 11 year old, it's hard to go to the gas station. It's hard to get gasoline. I thought it was gonna be easier. So I thought, I thought so hard, like, what, what can I use? What do we have at home? And I thought, you know what kind of smells like fuel? My dad's colognes. <laughs> and I think they might have some alcohol in those things. So I went into his drawer when he wasn't looking. I grabbed, you know, all his colognes, put them in my backpack. We go to the school the next day. We're going to the bathroom. Okay, a big, big plan. Okay, we start, let's, let's, let's set the toilet paper on fire. Right? Matches and the lighters. And here I come with the cologne, just spraying it on, baby. It's got you an inferno. The cologne 
kind of put out the fire more than did anything else. <laughs> but some other kid walked in, saw what we were doing, walked right back out. I was, you know what, maybe we should leave. Yeah, maybe we should leave. We start, we start leaving, kind of going to our classes when all of a sudden we hear, hey, stop. Hey, stop. We kind of pause. And here come security. Here comes the police. Right? And we get stopped and they say, okay, open your backpacks. One friend opened his backpack, matches. Oh, he's in big trouble. Yeah. Big trouble. Other friend opened his backpack, lighters. Oh, man. Big trouble. They opened my backpack. 20 colognes. <laughs> they either looked at me like I was the evil genius or the biggest idiot <laughs> in the whole school. So I don't have the best experience with fuel or with fire. But as I think about us spiritually, I think about the kind of fuel that f- kind of feeds our spiritual fire. I think about the disciples and how they needed a certain hope that kept them not just alive, but thriving in the hard times. And so last week, uh, Mr. Tiger over there ended off in Philippians. And we'll, sh- we'll turn it shortly, but let's go to Acts chapter 1. So here we find the disciples with the risen Christ. We find the disciples, Jesus has died, resurrected. He spent time with them. He's eaten with them. He's taught them. And you would imagine that maybe there's clarity. Maybe they have something through that time. But it's interesting what happens in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Because even after all that, look where their hope lies. It says in verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, you know, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. See, their focus, their hope, their desire was still the kingdom of Israel being restored. And, and even after everything he's teaching them, and appearing to them, he, they're still asking, now is this a time, Lord, when, when, when my, my hope will be fulfilled? To see, to see the kingdom come back to Israel? To be, be, brought back, be, be brought back to its glory? But Jesus' answer is, you know, God's timing is not always our timing. And God's plans are not necessarily our plans. And so he helps them understand that, but not just that, look at his grace, he gives them a little bit more information. But you know what? You will receive power. You're, you're, you're talking about powerful kingdom, glorious kingdom. Power's going to come on you. And this Israel, you know the center of Israel is Jerusalem? It has something to do with Jerusalem. And you actually go out from Jerusalem, yes, to Judea, but actually to Samaria, and not only that, to the ends 
of the earth. Way bigger plan and vision that they had. But they're left with this image after he tells them that this image of Jesus just leaving them. He's beamed up, like Scotty up, all the way up past the cloud. They can't see him anymore. And they're just there. I just imagine us just like mouth open. Just what, what now? Where are you, Jesus? You just made this proclamation. You made this promise. But we don't see you. And then these guys looking like an R&B music band, all white. Boys to men, they're like, actually, this Jesus, he's coming back. Jesus will return. Jesus will return. And that's kind of where we left off last week, that there's, there's something happening in the future. There's a second coming that's happening. There's this transformation that we've talked about already, that we've heard during our communion time. That just as Jesus came the first time, he's actually coming back. And I think that this idea was a pretty big deal. And in my life, for a long time, it hasn't been. Right? The big deal is the cross. And it is a big deal. And the resurrection, and that is a huge deal. But what about the return? You know, there's over a hundred scriptures that reference the return of Jesus. And I just think, man, it, it seemed to be on the very forefront of the early church's mind. And if you read the Bible, you kind of get that sense, right? That Jesus is coming back. And just wait a little longer. Something amazing is about to happen. But I think in my life, for so long, it's been in the back of my mind. Well, that's, yeah, I don't understand all that. I'll kind of push it off. You know, but there's at least 100 scriptures that talk about the return you know, and I hope you had a big breakfast so that we can get into these hundred scriptures. <laughs> they gave me no time limit this morning, so hope you're ready. You know, but it was always undermined. And it's, it's one of these things that I, many of you in this room can do a way better job than I can at explaining all the different thoughts and theories on that, the historical, you know, doctrines and all the thinkers and philosophers and theologians and ministers that have researched it and talked about it, and there's countless ideas about what this will look like. Some of you might even have some history with this. I have a guy in my ministry, my campus ministry, who grew up, and the only movie he was allowed to watch was the Left Behind series. As a kid, that was the only movie he was allowed to watch. So you can imagine, that gives you a little, pers- you know, that might give you a little perspective that that's what you've seen. You know, like this rapture is coming. Sounds like a dinosaur is on its way. The rapture is going to come get you. So we don't always know. And it can be kind of dangerous to, to try to, you know, imagine and, and go different routes and theories. Because it can, it can mess us up. It can get our, you know, our perspectives. And like, like I just mentioned with his brother, he's terrified of the second coming, right? We, we read Revelation and he's like sweating and trembling. Because right? for him, he has a certain association with that. So we all have different experiences. And um, the good thing about me being here this morning, I can just get in my car and leave. And then somebody can go up here and correct me next week. So let's give it a shot. Let's imagine 
We don't have the answers, but we have the scriptures. We have imagination. Right? We have the ability to, to say, well, maybe. Maybe it'll be like this. What if it's like that? And maybe we can look at some scriptures that we think we have understood a little differently and maybe see what kind of hope that gave to the early church that can give us here this morning. And I believe a hope that will not just help us be faithful, but be on fire for God. So start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You know, this made a big difference in the thoughts and the minds of the early Christians, of our brothers and sisters. Because this was how they thought about Jesus' return. They said that Jesus' return will transform. It will transform. And in verse 20 it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus' return means transformation. There's transformation coming. That our bodies will be like his glorious body. Like his glorious body that ascended, the glorious body that appeared and ate with the disciples and walked through, through do- locked doors. That, that your body will be like that one day. Transformed like that. Not just a spiritual being, but that your physical body, if it's dead, it won't stay that way. And that somehow it will be immortal and physical at the same time, the way Jesus was, or is, rather. See, Paul encourages the Philippian church by reminding them of their identity. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, Philippi was actually a, a Roman colony. So not all the Philippians were actually citizens of Rome. But, but Caesar would send retired soldiers to Philippi. And their role was, was very simple. It was hard, but it was simple. To influence Philippi with the, with the Roman influence. To help the, the natives of Philippi understand Rome. And if there was trouble in Philippi, you know what these, what these, uh, what, what these people would do? These citizens, they would eagerly await Caesar to come and use his power to make everything right. So I believe that Paul's kind of using some, th- some things that they understood. Some things that they, that they connected with. They said, oh wait, our citizenship isn't Rome. Our king isn't Caesar. Our citizenship is heaven. And we eagerly await the king to return, to come into this, this city and make everything right. All the injustice, all the hardship, all the suffering, all the brokenness, to come and use his power to fix that, to heal that. They weren't looking. Think about that. It would have been horrible for a Roman citizen, as soon as something happened in Philippi, to run back to Rome. 
That's not what they were sent to Philippi. And I think for us to say, let me escape. Let me escape the hardship. But instead, can we, can we say, let me bring the influence of heaven. Let me bring the influence of the king to, to this messed up land. So you can see their hope. And what fueled them, I'm, I'm waiting for my king because he's coming. In the meantime, I'm influencing. I'm bringing in the presence of heaven. But while we wait, we do that. But we look forward to the day he comes and makes everything right. Right? We don't escape. We wait on Jesus because he brings everything under his control. So Jesus returns. About our, it's about our identity, our bodies, but our citizenship as well. Paul means that the Savior, the Lord Jesus, will come from heaven to earth to change our present situation and the state of his people. And in the meantime, we spread heaven's influence all over, wherever we're placed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So what is that going to look like when Jesus returns as king? Again, this is one of the scriptures that, again, I don't have the answer. But maybe, maybe we can look at this a little different. Maybe we've heard it one way and we understand it one way, but what if? What if we can read it a different way? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So again, we see their encouragement, their strength came from knowing that Jesus is coming back. Right? He says, what would that be like? Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a king, right, coming into his city. When the emperor visited a colony of the country, wherever he was going, those citizens would actually go out and meet him outside the city. Remember Jesus entering Jerusalem last time? What happened? Outside the city, what did they do? Triumphal entry. It would be such a dishonor for anybody to wait on their king while sitting on their lazy boy with their hummus and pita chips, you know, <laughs> watching the gladiator games. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on, Jesus. Yeah, he's coming in. Yeah, king. No, no, they went outside of the city. And just, we saw that with Jesus in the triumphal entry. But here's the crazy thing. They didn't stay outside the city, did they? They went, they met outside the city to usher in the king to their life, to the place that he would come. So the scriptures are saying, wait a minute, we, we will meet Jesus. And what if it's saying instead of us staying around somewhere else, we're actually going to usher Jesus in. Usher Jesus in. And I want you to imagine walking Jesus through your workplace. Let me show you Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know, I know. He's like, I know that's the chair that you cried in. I know those tears you shed at the foot of that bed. Or I know that that's a hospital where you 
helped people and healed. Or, or yes, that's the prison where you went and you served. Oh, I see that building. You engineered that and you designed that. Or that software that you began, that you programmed. Oh, that's, that's the church that you went to in the mornings, Sundays, faithfully. Imagine him walking with you in that day through the bedroom, through your living room. Hopefully you made your bed that morning. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. And you're ushering him back in to the place he will return. You're escorting him royally into the city. When Paul speaks of meeting the Lord in the air, what if the point not that we will be somehow beamed up, but we're we're actually ushering him in. Because it's always been in the scriptures, and it's, maybe it always will be, it's more about the God coming to us rather than us always thinking we can go to him. So having gone out and meeting the Lord in the air, escorting him royally into his domain, back into the place where he came from. Revelation 21, we see the end image here of what will happen then. Why, why do that? Why come back? What's the point of it all? What's the ultimate goal? Revelation 21. As he's walking around your workplace, as he's walking around your classroom, as he goes into your school, as he sees the, the, the bench that you pray at every morning, as he looks at the places that you run, and you have your, your time of, of just alone with God, as he looks at all that, verse 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus returns to unite heaven and earth. To unite heaven and earth. If Jesus intended to live in heaven forever, in this other space, this other place, it really makes no sense to return, does it? Yeah. You could just keep ruling there and destroy the earth. But maybe we see the ultimate goal is not heaven, but a renewed earth and heaven where the new creation are one. Jesus comes back to dwell with you, to be with you. So it's not so much us going to him that day. It's him that he's always done, coming to his people, coming to the rescue. And if we're aware of that ultimate goal of him coming, then think about what that means. 
just think about how that changes everything. 1 Corinthians 15, we keep looking at this idea. In verse 52, Paul's writing about that very moment when that happens. And I want us to see what he says. What difference does this make? New heaven, okay. New earth, all right. But what does it mean for us today to look at the future like that? Verse 52, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with, the, with immortality. When the, perish, when the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The difference that it makes is that it makes all the difference. When we're alive, it means that what you do, that what we do, matters, that it really, really, really matters. It says our labor is not in vain. You know, labor is painful. Labor is hard. We have two kids, Ellie and Mateo, and I was there in the room when they were born. And I remember the pain, the screaming, the crying, the drugs that were needed. And Veronica has the symptoms as well as I did. <laughs> but labor is hard, but it brings, it brings life. It's not in vain. So what if tomorrow, as you go in to your cubicle or your office, or as you go into your classroom later this month, what if all of that will last? What if God takes the service you do here with the singing, with the AV, with the video, with your contribution? And what if, what if he transforms that? In the work you do in your home, raising your kids, he takes that. And the software you develop, the friends you talk to, the people that you share with, your perseverance, but also your pain, your suffering, your resilience. And he takes all that, and what if he makes that perfect as well? That, that what we do matters. And that some of it will spill over to the next to the new creation. That some of it will actually last. And that one day you'll feel Jesus' hand 
on the cheek, wiping away your tear, saying, hey, I, I'm here. I'm here. Your, your tears matter. They were never in vain. Your perseverance matters. Your labor, your work, never in vain. So I think we can see the hope that that brings. That whatever you've been through and what you will do, never in vain. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you, God, for this awesome group that I get to speak to the honor. Thank you, Father, for the way you lead us. God, I pray you can give us wisdom to navigate these situations and a heart of compassion and love for one another. And more importantly, God, I pray you take all of this, my imperfect words and our imperfect uh, lives, but you make them perfect. And that we can look forward to that day and be filled with hope, knowing that we are waiting and that you are coming. In the meantime, our labor is not in vain. We love you, Father. We thank you. In the name of, in the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.